for those of you I haven't met, my name's Rachel Davis, and I work with the youth here, and I have for about six years. And I have the privilege of introducing our speaker because she's my mom. So <laughs> I've known her for a very long time, and uh, she's gone to Covenant for how many years? Oh, so since the beginning of Covenant. And then she left for a little while, and then she came back. So we've been here for 20-something years. Um, I really like her. Her name's Catherine Shields. <laughs> she, um, she was a nurse for a while, and then she taught nursing, and then she stayed home with us, and then she was a teacher, and then she was an assistant principal, and that probably doesn't cover all of the things, but she's done a lot of things, and she's going to share some things tonight. Thank you, daughter. <laughs> I think the hardest part of this tonight is going to be staying next to this microphone. So I'm going to try. Um, <clears throat> Owen, I think my daughter and I were looking at my notes and got them out of order. So <laughs> I didn't put page numbers on them. Um, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. I love summer sound summer salad suppers. I've always loved summer salad suppers. I just think it's the coolest time. And the only thing about speaking is I wish I could have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with everybody because I just think it's so much fun. And I'd like to hear your stories, but you're going to hear mine tonight. So um, <clears throat> Ingram asked me to share about what God was doing in my life right now. So there are two things that I could talk about for a very long time. And um, I don't want to keep you here for a very long time. So, but those two things are, um, my husband has Parkinson's. Rachel's dad was diagnosed in his early 50s. He's had it about 18 years. And that's been quite the journey. Um, that's a whole other topic. Rachel's brother um, is a pastor in a predominantly Muslim country. And so to try to not stay here all night long, um, <clears throat> I'm going to pick one, and I'm going to talk about our journey as a family and for me as a mother through having my son be a pastor literally as far from this place as you can go on the globe in a country that is 60% Muslim, 20% Buddhist, 10% Christian, and 6% Hindu. Um, so, and I hope I can make this technology do okay. Oops, wrong slide. Okay. There's the fam. Um, <clears throat> when I started preparing this, we hadn't seen Curtis for almost three years. He was supposed to come home in April of 20, and we all know what happened there. <clears throat> They announced a couple of weeks ago they were going to go on serious lockdown. Now, they've been in their apartment for about a year and a half. It's in a high-rise. They don't have a yard. They have a six-year-old, a three-and-a-half-year-old, and a one-and-a-half-year-old. They have a creative mother, fortunately. They could go downstairs some. They could do some things. But for the most part, they've been inside for about a year and a half. Um, <clears throat> so they said they're going to go on serious lockdown, Curtis and Marissa bought tickets. They had to get permission 
to go to the airport. They got stopped on the way to the airport twice. They made it to the airport. They got on the airplane, and they got here. So um, I thought it was kind of ironic. I'm working on this talk about my son and about letting go and seeking first the kingdom of God, and God puts him on a plane and sends him home. <clears throat> For those of you who don't know, Curtis is the one in the middle in the back, and that's his family surrounding. Marissa is his wife, and then you see her holding their one-and-a-half-year-old. He's actually 21 months. We met him at the Atlanta airport for the first time June the 9th. Emily Mintz, God love her, had been to Malaysia. She's lived with my children. Rave, everybody. Wave, Emily. She's lived with my children, and she was there to help when he was a couple months old. And to my joy, truly, she was there when my son had to have an appendectomy. And they had three children in the apartment, right? It was that trip, right? They had two at the time. That was the previous trip. She's been twice. So anyway, Emily's been a real blessing to us, and we're grateful for her. Okay, so, um, and y'all can pray for Joseph, too. He's on your left. They're having a baby on Monday. That will be number nine. And so far, we have one girl. So (laughs) we like boys. We like girls, too, but um, okay. In their country, um, if you are not Muslim, you have complete religious freedom. What? Well, if that well, that's right. If you're not Muslim, you have complete freedom of religion. Now, if you're a Muslim from another country, I think maybe you've got freedom. But anyway, if you're not Muslim, you have complete religious freedom. So Christians can practice their faith, and he's legally a pastor and all is well. However, it is illegal for a Muslim to um, convert to any religion, and it is illegal to proselytize a Muslim. So if you would like to know more about Islam, I would recommend several books to you. Um, the first one is, the one that I would recommend, if you're only going to read one, please read Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. This is the story of Nabil, Nabil Qureshi's journey. He was um, in conversation with a friend who was a Christian, and he dug in and wanted to prove that Islam was the one true religion. And in his digging, he became a Christian. Uh, we actually, he was speaking when we were in Malaysia a few years ago, and he was not introduced. He was with uh, somebody else. This tall, dark man stood up and started talking, and I said, who is that? And it was Nabil Qureshi. So, uh, Unfortunately, uh, he was a physician. He got cancer, and he died in his mid-30s. But the book is very instructive about um, Islam. These other two books, Hospital by the River and Infidel, they are about... The, the situation of Muslim women in Africa. My son is in Asia. It's, his country is much more progressive than some of these African countries. But um, Muslim women in Africa have a very difficult time most of the time. Uh, in Hospital by the River, there was a med- two medical doctors, a couple. They went to Ethiopia to try to just do community health. And what they found was that there were... Um, Muslim women began coming to them 
because the women are often married off very young, they have babies very young, and due to the trauma of birth, they unfortunately become incontinent. Their husbands reject them, their families reject them, they can't get jobs, they smell bad, Life, there's no hope for them. So first one woman comes to the hospital and they do surgery and they repair these fistulas that cause them to be incontinent. Word gets around, they had so many women, they couldn't meet the demand, they stayed, they built a hospital just for these women and it's a problem in many parts of the world. Um, <clears throat> so that was one, it's a great book. Anyway, Infidel is about a woman who was married off against her will. She ran away. She became a um, politician. I think she's now an American citizen. She's an author, and she is an advocate for particularly Muslim women. So those are great books, and I hope some of you will want to read those or talk about them. Um, how many of you, I just want to know how much this group is aware of, um, how many of you are aware of female circumcision? Okay, a good number of you. Um, well, I won't go into all the details, but it's just something we need to know happens for Muslim women. Um, <clears throat> there are a lot of different kinds of female circumcision. Some, of, some procedures are very mutilating. These procedures are done on girls usually by the time they're six years old. It is an act of love on the part of the parent because they believe that their daughter is not suitable to be married if she has not been circumcised. So it's an act of love on their part because that's how they see it. There are different forms, as I said. But interestingly, in the country where my son is, and they don't talk about this a whole lot for obvious reasons, although they have talked with some very close friends and who have participated in this. But I found an article on the internet about their country, which again is more progressive. There are not as many rules. It's not as hard on the women. But surprisingly, 99.3% of the women in that country have undergone female genital cutting. And 99.3% of the women want it to continue. Interestingly, I found this very interesting. The older respondents had used midwives or witch doctors or whatnot. I don't guess they have witch doctors there, but in Africa they do. Um, but the younger ones wanted to have doctors do it, which I found a little puzzling. There's no medical reason, according to our literature in the West, to do this procedure. Um, so I found it interesting that the doctors are performing the procedures for those women, or girls, actually. Anyway, this is a huge part of life for Muslim women. Um, and there's lots more we can talk about about them, and I'm sure Curtis and Marissa and Emily have more to add, um, and I'd love to hear more from them. So um, I'm going to talk about letting go and seeking the kingdom of God and my example for in my life is with my son and his family leaving. In thinking about this, we have to think about what's our purpose. And our first catechism question, ladies, what is the chief end of man? To 
to glorify God and enjoy him forever. A few weeks ago, uh, my grandson Isaac was baptized here at Covenant. And by the way, if you haven't met Walt's mother, she's right here. So glad to have you, Julia. Uh, One of the questions that Rachel and Walt were asked, as were all of us when we had our children baptized, do you now, without reservation, dedicate your child to God? Without reservation. When my children were little, I prayed Hannah's prayer over them, as I'm sure many of you have. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I have dedicated him to the Lord as long as he lives. For me, that was an easy prayer to pray, sort of, when they were little and they weren't going anywhere. I had them in my arms. They get older. They move on. They leave and cleave. They grow across the globe. It gets a little harder. It was for me. Ladies, Hannah prayed earnestly for this child. She didn't know she was going to have any more children. Do you know when she took him to Eli, when he was weaned, he was little. It wasn't a great situation. She took him to Eli. Do you know how often she saw him after that? Once a year. Hannah was something. Mary had to watch Jesus suffer and die. Abraham obeyed God. And he was ready to sacrifice his son, who God promised him he was going to give him descendants so numerous that they couldn't be numbered. We all have to dedicate our children to God. And sometimes they're going to want to do costly things. They want to go, go away or do things, whatever, that are hard for us and hard for them. Soon after Curtis told me that he and Marissa were considering going to the mission field, I came across an article, and the title of the article was, Why Are Our Children Not Going to the Mission Field? The author quoted statistics that, um, about these respondents that clearly indicated that the reason they weren't going to the mission field was their parents. That's not what we want, but I do get it. Um, it's hard for them to go. And it's hard for us to encourage them to go. Curtis and Marissa got on a plane. I'm standing there sobbing. They took my first grandchild, my only granddaughter. She was 10 months old and went to the other side of the world, 12 time zones away. They had two more children while they were there. And I think I said I met the third one June the 9th when he was 21 months old. Not long after they had gone, we had some missionaries come to Covenant, and um, I asked them, what can I do to help my son and his wife? And immediately the wife said, let them go. And every time I tell this, tears come to my eyes. It's hard to let them go. I quit going to the airport. I'm no help. But as hard as it is for them to go, I'm really, really thankful. And I know y'all understand that. I'm very, I feel tremendously blessed and grateful that they are seeking first the kingdom of God. We are very grateful for FaceTime and YouTube where we can attend church with them and um, Zoom. My husband had four aunts who went to Africa many years ago. And, you know, in those days, you would write a letter, and maybe you would get it in a month. So I don't know how his grandmother did that. She's my hero. Um, 
Everybody in this room has had or will have challenges with letting something go. And I know that there are women in this room who would love to switch places with me for a variety of reasons. Because either you don't have children or you've lost a child or your children aren't following the Lord. They're not making good decisions. And I I understand mothering is a struggle. So how do we do this? How do we let go? We have to remember there are two things that last forever. God's word, people's souls. And we have to invest in those things. Secondly, the disciplines of our faith are Bible study and prayer. And I'm going to talk about some of the things that God's taught me about prayer. Young moms, when Rachel and her brothers were running around the house and they were yelling at each other, and it was interesting sometimes, as I know you know. I prayed Jeremiah 33, 3 many times. You know what that says? Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. <laughs> God, help me know what to do. I'm prayed it all the time. Um, bear one another's burdens. When my children went to college, I realized, as many of you have, that my biggest impact on them was going to be prayer. And Leanne Logan and Nancy Battles, who goes to Briarwood and is a neighbor and couldn't be here tonight, had the same concerns. Their children were in college, and we wanted to be praying for them, and we started praying together. We had 10 children among us. We now have eight in-law children and 12 grandchildren, so we've added 20 people to the group. So uh, we've been praying together for, we think it's about 12 years. So uh, one of the things that's so great about it is we really spill our guts, and we keep each other's confidences. Um, we try to get together once a week. doesn't happen all the time, but we've, we've done... FaceTime, we just get together. And I would encourage you, if you don't have a prayer group, to try to get one where people are committed to getting together and praying. It's really meant a lot to us. Um, And I think three or four is a great number. Um, So we do bear one another's burdens, and it's gotten us all through a lot next thing I want to talk about is prayer and fasting. I prayed this prayer that now I think that was kind of stupid to pray that way, (laughs) but um, I did. Uh, I had some friends who were really taking fasting seriously, and I thought, well, maybe I need to be taking fasting more seriously, and so I asked God to show me if I should be praying and fasting more, and he, he showed me. A few weeks after I prayed this prayer, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I had the most intense pain I had ever had in my abdomen, and I said to Jamie, my husband, take me to the ER, run all the red lights, just get me there. We get there. The nurse comes in with the syringe of the magic narcotic. She walks in the door, and I said, whatever it was, it's over. I don't need any narcotics. I feel like somebody hit me in the stomach. It's done. Can I go home? They did some blood work, and the doctor came in and said, your pancreatic enzymes are 10 times normal. You have pancreatitis. My pancreas was eating itself. They put me in the hospital. Guess what? There's one treatment for that. 
Anybody know what it, what it is? Fasting. They put me on a total fast. No ice chips, nothing. I fasted 24 hours. They did multiple, multiple tests. Never saw a thing. We presume it was a stone that passed and they couldn't see it. Never saw anything on any test other than those pancreatic enzymes. Never had another symptom. That was almost 10 years ago. I got the message. I'm working on it. If you want to work on it with me, holler. And my last story, this occurred about 50 years ago. I was 16 years old. My brother was 18. His name, my brother's best friend was Paul. Paul's sister, Olivia, was my best friend. So we were all very close. So they actually had a brother between the two of us. So there were five of us. And uh, Paul was killed in a wreck. And you can imagine it was pretty devastating for <clears throat> all of us. <clears throat> and I really spent a lot of time thinking about Paul and eternity and where was Paul. And I was very aware that Paul didn't get a do-over, but I was still here. And I'd grown up in the church, and I believed Jesus was the Son of God. So, you know, in my head and... But I really had to ask myself, what am I really living for? And what does the rest of my life, what I want, I want it to look like? So I went on a retreat with the church, similar to what Rachel's doing this weekend. And I looked at the schedule, and there was a big gap on Saturday afternoon. And I said, okay, God, you and I, we're going to have it out on Sunday, Saturday afternoon. I'm going to look at my life, and what do I want the rest of my life to be like? So I decided Jesus was either a lunatic or he was the Son of God. And I did believe in my head that he was the Son of God. I've learned since that time that the demons believe and they shudder and that there's a life and death eternal difference between believing it in our heads and giving our hearts and lives to Jesus. Well, then I decided if I really believe that, I'm a lunatic if I don't really give my life and my heart to Jesus. And I did that day. I'm sitting beside a pond, made this decision, and then I thought, I guess I should have a quiet time. I'm not sure where to begin, but I had written down the verses that the speaker had gone over that morning. So I thought, well, I'll just look those up. So I looked up a verse, flipped over, looked up a verse, flipped back and forth. After a while, I thought, I said in my head, God, I'm tired of looking these up. You look up the next one. Another one of those prayers, you know, and then I thought, silly me, how stupid is that? Before I could look or do anything about looking up the next verse, the wind began to blow. And the pages of my Bible turned over, I don't know, eight, ten pages, and then they stopped. And my eyes were big as saucers. I put my hand down. I didn't know what the next verse was. I looked back at the list. The next verse was Galatians 5, 22 and 23. I looked back at my Bible, and the pages had stopped at Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The Spirit of God was truly in the wind. God was with me that day in the middle of nowhere, Georgia. 16-year-old girl, 17 by that time sitting beside a pond, and he's with us today 
here and every day. Galatians 5, 23, you probably all know it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. There's no law against that in Asia or a Muslim country. But the fruit comes from deep roots in Jesus. So may we all have deep roots in Jesus. I want to close with a hymn that we've sung in church on a number of occasions that, if I can get it to come up, that means a lot to me. It may not come up. I'll read some of the words before while we're waiting to see if it's going to come up. My worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone. My worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame. As summer flowers we fade and die, fame, youth, and beauty hurry by. I will not boast in wealth or might or human wisdom's fleeting light. And my favorite line is, Two wonders here that I confess, my worth and my unworthiness. It's hard to imagine how much we are worth to God. That he truly gave his only son. He says he carved us on the palms of his hand. And ladies, I don't know what you are holding on to. This is not it. Sorry. (laughs) So much for technology. Um... I don't know what you have trouble holding, opening your hand to God to, for, but let's help each other. Let's spill our guts with each other. Let's open our hands and let God bless us as he wants to. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, please help every person here to understand her worth and her unworthiness. Thank you that you paid our ransom at the cross. Help each of us to rejoice in our Redeemer and be people after God's own heart. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Catherine, thank you so much for sharing. Really appreciate it. Um, Hannah, where are you? Wave. Hannah's sharing with us for our last summer salad supper next week. So I hope that y'all all plan to join us. Thank you for coming tonight. Feel free to stay and visit. And if you want to take some flowers, I'd love for you to. If you want to make some sort of donation for the flowers, that'd be great. Just leave it on your table. I'm not going to give you a suggested amount, but you're welcome to take them. And um, y'all just thank you for coming tonight and being a part of this. So visit. Grab more dessert from another table.